look inside. Hi, Murphy. Uh, Tom, are you out there? Do you think I would actually miss one of our episodes? No, not this one. This is like a, <laughs> this is a very special episode, Tom. We're going to review part six, right? Don't die. Yes. Don't die. Don't die while you're listening to this because this might be the most, uh, the le- it's our least favorite episode of Twin Peaks, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I think so. I watched part six last night for the first time oh. in many a moon. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, just compared, I mean, I, there are parts of it that I really, really like. It's just there wasn't a lot going on in this episode. And of course, we had a lot of Dougie time and not just, which is fine, but a lot of Dougie <laughs> time doing nothing but looking over his case files. And uh, and there was no Mr. C. And uh, there was that, uh, that, that accident scene, which was... Uh, Interesting on one hand, but uh, we'll get into it. I was as watching the show, but when I saw those the the reaction shots of the uh, the, the extras, the, the extras, the, yeah. the, <laughs> the crowd, uh, it just took me completely out of that scene. And watching it again, I was just horrified. I, and there was like six different cutaways. It was like, how did Lynch let this go? I don't know. So um, we it's Twin Peaks. We love it. It's just not our favorite episode. We're going to be very enthusiastic about it. We've got some other things to talk about during some downtime, but. Uh, yeah. Let's do it. You ready to go? Yeah, let me cue it We're up. We're going to start at the Rancho Rosa. Are you going to go? Let's go right now. Boink. If you're following along, we start at the Rancho Rosa. Yeah, I'm a couple seconds behind you. Sorry. There we go. Yeah, okay, good. So, yeah, okay. what I want to talk about first and foremost uh, as we watch the credits and uh, uh, then get into Ducky's storyline was something that you mentioned uh, a while ago. Uh, which I thought was a very interesting point. I don't think we really got into it a lot, but you had mentioned how you thought maybe that the Buckhorn mystery, all the scenes in Buckhorn or a majority of them could have very easily have taken place in Twin Peaks. And I started thinking about it some more. And really, if you just eliminate Ray getting the coordinate, coordinates from Mr. C, um, everything else could conceivably take place in Twin Peaks. First and foremost... The Major Briggs, his presence, like why in Buckhorn? Why at the zone? Um, yeah, they never could, explained it. They never even said like, oh, there. I mean, there was no connection to Twin Peaks. Like, why? Why Buckhorn? We never found out. Well, yeah, apparently there's not. I mean, some people might very well believe that Buckhorn might have been a dream construct, just like some people feel that you know Las Vegas was. But uh, I think I think it was very real. I just think that the one thing lacking in in this iteration of Twin Peaks was a real kind of solid core mystery in the town of Twin Peaks. Of course, we had the Log Lady's message to Hawk, which set him off to finally uncover uh, the missing pages from Laura's diary, which led to, uh, you know, uh, meeting Betty Briggs and getting the message and going to the portal near Jack Rabbit's palace. But that all could have very easily been transferred to Twin Peaks. And I think it would have really given some, some more screen time to our characters in, in Twin Peaks, but it also would have, you know, kind of deepened and broadened, I think, the mystery. And I think it would have helped with the audience as well. Well, it would have made all the hardcore fans wanted uh, more Twin Peaks. And it would have put everybody, all the main characters or most of them in that one town. And he could instead of having like all the hotel scenes where they're just sitting around, <laughs> he could have at least, could, the FBI could have been out in, the, on, in Twin Peaks, you know, interviewing, you know, you know, characters from town and stuff. It would have been more. It would, I think it would have been a good idea. Why did they do it? Do you think? Why, I don't know. Why did they choose I, that? I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I understand that this series, this season, was something that they wanted to expand. And obviously, we got any number of different locations. But you know, I, I would assume when they conceived of the Buckhorn mystery, 
one of the first thoughts would have been like, well, why, you know, in Twin Peaks, you know, why Buckhorn? Why choose South Dakota? Um, I mean, it could very well have been anywhere, but it really, I think, would have helped the narrative and would have helped the audience if all these events did take place in Twin Peaks. I mean, Hastings could have been the principal of the Twin Peaks High School, um, along with Ruth would have been the librarian. Constance could have been the, the medical examiner at the Calhoun Memorial. Um, you know, Albert and her, when they hooked up, it could, they could have hooked up at, you know, the Great Northern. He could have told the story of Cooper and the Happy Generations. Cole could have went into the Double R Diner, saw Shelley again, and they could have had that great flirtation, which took place 25 years prior. He probably would have kissed her again. So all these things could have happened. It's just they chose not to. Maybe it, there would have been too many portals in, the, in one woods. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, it could have been. Stretch I, that, them out. I think that <clears throat> the thing with Briggs, because that was the whole thing. They found Briggs in the zone. So why not have it be the portal near Jackrabbit's palace? I mean, that's where we saw his head in part 17. Why couldn't he have just been hiding there? We just transfer the zone to the portal near Jackrabbit's palace. And instead of maybe Cole and Albert going there, have that whole scene that we saw in part 14 with Truman and the gang. Um, at the zone, and we could have had Hastings in his jail cell and had a woodsman, Stuart Strauss, our great friend Stuart Strauss, in the Twin Peaks jail. Yeah. Maybe he, instead of being at the zone, could have gotten his head destroyed in the jail cell. Yeah, scene. maybe he could have met Nida later on. Yeah, exactly. It could have all, it could have all, the thing is, you can tie it all together. I mean, you could very easily take those scenes and, and put them into Twin Peaks and uh, without losing a lot. And I think, I can't think of really any negatives. I can only think of like, you know, positives. Yeah, me too, except for the fact that maybe they wanted to stretch out the portals. Like, they wanted to make this a global right. deal, you know, where they're in New York, they're in, or I guess, is that one in New York? Yes, it is. The one in London, you know, they're all over the place. Right. And so there had to be one, in, they, they have two, or to have just that one was not enough for Lynch. You wanted to have the whole shebang, the whole, the whole meal, right. buddy. Well, what did you think when part six started? <laughs> we're, we're in uh, the Jones yeah, home, <laughs> but when the first scene was, was Cooper at the statue, which was the last scene, of part five. That was great. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> He's still there. He's still there. Uh, yeah, but then, you know, so it's, I mean, watching this scene in retrospect, it's a lot better than it was because we didn't know what the hell was happening with this. Like in, in retrospect, I'm, I'm understanding the pace of this Dougie, all the excruciating stuff that I thought was, you know, them eating the sandwiches and potato chips and then going into the case files. It seems like it makes more sense now. It's more, it's like not as frustrating to watch and almost kind of beautiful. I think the Dougie stuff is really good. It's aged well for me. Yeah, I agree. I have the same same feeling. I was just so ready to kind of move past these scenes on the original watch because I, I just I wanted to get to I wanted Cooper to wake up. I wanted to get to see more Mr. C. I wanted to see more Twin Peaks. And it took me a while to kind of really kind of accept the Dougie storyline. By the time that I really kind of did accept the Dougie storyline, it pretty much ended. So on a rewatch, and especially the scene with him eating the chips and watching his acting and and his uh you know the, the dynamic between him and Janie E and then when he goes to see Sunny Jim here in a little bit I really appreciate this as kind of like a Lynch David Lynch like you know surreal sitcom this is like him if you were to you know put him give him the reins of some conventional sitcom this is very well what you would get and I can see him laughing his ass off behind his monitor with his megaphone smoking, you know, chain smoking at, you know, Cooper, you know, playing this, this idiot, basically the, the, the great agent Cooper as a man child. Yeah. And I love the way he eats the potato chips. I do too. <laughs> I love with Sonny Jim here in a second when he offers Sonny Jim yeah, a just chip. Just a single chip. Just a And says, later. oh, I already brushed my teeth. Yeah. And so, but he puts the chip like on his. For little, later. You know, for later for him. Snack, yeah. So great. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we're in Sonny Jim's room. 
right? It's got like, it has like some like cowboy, for, uh, you know, decor going on. Yeah, a little What's motif, the, a little southwestern. Yeah. I wonder if this was something that Lynch had in his childhood bedroom. Because it has that, evokes that kind of 1950s feel, doesn't it? It does. I'm trying to look at, try to figure out what that wallpaper is behind him. Looks like Hawk's map. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like a little strip map. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Cooper. The idea, when we talked about this in our last podcast, the, the good Cooper, and watching this episode, you know, we have these scenes here. This is the family life. We're kind of really getting into the, the, the life that Dougie Jones, the Tulpa Jones, lived. Now he's gone. Obviously, I think, you know, the, the, the marriage with Janie E. was crumbling and his relationship with his son wasn't, wasn't good. And now just the mere presence of the good Dale Cooper, I think, is changing these events. But what we're also getting in this episode is especially outside of the Jones home and going into Twin Peaks, the ramifications of Cooper failing in the original series in the Black Lodge and what Mr. C, the the mayhem and destruction that he's brought in these 25 years, namely little Dickie Horn, who is a product of Mr. C raping Audrey when she was in a coma and impregnating her. And here we have little Dickie Horn, who was never right as... Grandpappy Ben would say, and causes this 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 horrible accident at the same intersection in Firewalk with Me, where the one-armed man was screaming at Leland. So I got that vibe on seeing this on on, on the rewatch that we're also dealing with Cooper's you know failed mission in the original series and the ramifications. Yeah, and that he right here is he's got the latent memories of Mister C in him right now. He's just Dougie, and he can't get to him. He's just blocked it out. Right. This whole journey is him going back to that. Yeah, and the whole Clapper scene, that's another, like, Lynch surreal sitcom moment. I mean, we spent, like, 45 seconds on clap on, clap off. And, uh, yeah, we're watching uh, this the first time, though, and being very fr- – I mean, this is extraordinarily slow glacial pacing. <laughs> you know, and you've only got an hour. <laughs> and so by the time this whole thing is through, it's almost like 15 minutes, right? This entire first Dougie montage or – Yeah, I think it, it's right at about 15 minutes. If you think about part three, the opening of him – in that purple room with, with NATO and that whole journey and then winding up in Rancho Rosa. That was 15 minutes, but that section was so riveting and engaging and so bizarre that time just flew by. I could have spent, spent hours um, in, you know, in that world. And here we have a different world, more of a home life. But it is necessary, I think, for the evolution of this character of, of Cooper in this world and to eventually return. But I want to throw this at you is that we know that Lynch and Frost pitched this idea to Showtime and they came to an agreement that it would be nine episodes, you know, meaning nine hours. This would have never have made it. I mean, this would have been like a you know 45 second scene. They would have had to cut up 14 minutes of this to cram that whole plot into nine hours. Yeah, I wonder so, how much the, the Dougie uh, storyline was like in the original, like when they sent to, to Showtime before when it was nine episodes, like would it be? Like I think it was all there. Hour? I think it was all there. I think it was all there. But say this section of fifteen minutes of screen time, my guess is it would have been a page, a page and a half, because there's not really a lot of dialogue. I mean, there's the phone call that Janie E receives from the bookies um, that 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 Dougie uh, commiserated with, but there's not a lot of dialogue. It's just basically a lot of kind of I wouldn't say dead space but uh, a lot of like you know breathing letting the scene play out and you don't write that you write the action and the dialogue in a script so I think it was there and Lynch knew and I think we he knew from 
how he wanted to direct this, that he needed more time. And I've read some of his other screenplays and pretty much everything after Blue Velvet. If you read the scripts, you, you see A, uh, that they're, they're long, but B, you see a lot of deleted scenes because he was beholden to a certain uh, running time. Um, it just got to the point, like, you know, at his last several features, he didn't have that, that, that kind of deadline, a running time uh, that he had to uh, hold, you know, hold up to. And that's why he wanted the extra, I think, uh, nine hours. Yeah. Do you think that since, I mean, we, we think that this whole Dougie thing is a dream, a Black Lodge figment, right? Shouldn't we be able to go through these rewatches and spot some sort of clues, clues of some kind that this is not reality? <laughs> like Janie E, her, the way she acts, like she's not acting like a normal, you know, she's, she's acting like a stilted like caricature here at the beginning. Uh, and maybe that's a, a clue that, that we're not in a real world here. Possibly, but it, it's also kind of on par with how Lynch directs some of his actors, you know, and some of their performances that to be uh, not necessarily real or hyper real. And I would certainly put the Janie E character in, in that realm. Um, I, I do believe like you, that we're not necessarily dealing with a reality here. We're going to get a moment here soon when the one, our man shows up, but I think it's more kind of Lynch wanting to portray this character in, I wouldn't say an unrealistic light, but in, a kind of a Lynchian light and how he does it. He's able to somehow with his direction, communicate with these actors and create these real unique performances that aren't necessarily realistic. They're kind of hyper real. And it's kind of a Lynch, like a staple in, in a lot of his productions. Yeah. Like Naomi Watts reminds me of like Diane Selwyn from Mulholland drive playing Janie E in these early scenes. Yeah. You and especially, I mean? yeah. Especially when she finds out about Jade, yeah, here. yeah. It seems like it seems like she'd be auditioning in Mulholland Drive for that. <laughs> right. Well, what about the Janie E character being the half sister of Diane? Because um, we just got that one scene where, where Diane mentions it. But if if that's we just wanna... a Lynch, that's a, that's just a lodge figment. That's not real. <laughs> it can't well, but, be right. Well, no. But she knew. It seems like uh, a lodge storyline. Like if this is the lodge dream, this whole Dougie thing, that that sounds perfectly in line with. Because Diane is like a Tulpa lodge character herself. Oh, they're they're sisters, half sisters in the lodge. Yeah. See how he's okay. rubbing the. I'm sorry to digress. The yeah. seven on the lucky seven, yeah. but yeah. we cut to that electrical sound, and then the iconic image of the stoplight in Twin Peaks. Yeah, you thought the sound was coming. Like somebody's coming. Like when that happened, yeah. you were like, "Oh, the sound. The the, the, the evil's coming." Well, yeah, it kind of, and it segues to the one-armed man in the Black Lodge. But it was very interesting that the cutaway that Lynch chose, it, it did feel like kind of a foreshadowing, but nothing really ever— the first time we had seen those, also the lights that Starkwood in 21, is, right? Isn't that the only time we do see that stoplight in the yeah. entire series? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, now we have the one-armed man here trying yeah, like to— man here. This is good. Yeah, communicate doing his little Tai Chi, right? It's <laughs> Lodgy and Tai Chi. Yeah. Right. See, I love like just watching like with the sound off here. I'm just watching Kyle do Dougie. Like I love the way his he's just doing like nonverbal acting. Watching the one arm man here is really good. Yeah, it's great. And this is just to see the one arm man. Up. See, that ties into it just that it's the dream he's in. You've got to wake up from this. You have he's, to get, wake he's basically up. giving you like a he's doing a long distance call from the lodge into this like little Judy pocket that he's in. Yeah, but don't you think it's still part of the lodge? Yeah, but he can't get it. Obviously, he can't enter this. This The only way he can enter it is like this. But this is like him giving a little, like, texting or sending an email saying, you got to get out of here, buddy. you got to wake up. Yeah, and you know how in part two— You said you were tricked earlier. You know what I'm saying? So that's why you're in this dream world. You were tricked. 
You got to get That's up. true. That's true. Up. And remember in part two, when he was trying to get out, he opened the curtains, parted them, and saw that highway that Mr. Yeah. C was driving down. Now, you could say like, okay, there, there's a portal right there, but I highly doubt that. Um, what I'm thinking is, is that the lodge is able to uh, appear almost anywhere because it, it appeared in Rancho Rosa when Dougie Jones, the real Dougie Jones, was about to be pulled out. He saw the red drapes. So they, yeah. the lodge was able to When he got in the uh, wreck, Mr. Penetrate. C as well, got, he saw the drapes. Yeah. yeah. So, why, so he can do it in Rancho Rosa. It just makes sense that a lot of these scenes, especially with the Dougie, so the Cooper storyline in Dougie Land, is actually still taking place in the lodge, even though we're not always seeing the, the, the floor, the familiar floor and the drapes. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, I still think that the, like, the place on the highway may have been like a, a, you know, a confluence point, that that's like you know, where you can go. And Dougie's house is obviously a lodge portal type entrance place. But uh, I'm not sure that they're – I, I want to think that there's only a select few places where the, they can enter in. But I guess you're right. Like, cause lo, like Bob, anybody can – they can pierce through anywhere. Right. No, no yeah, Bob, Bob can. But it makes me think that the Lodge's influence is endless. And I, I, I posit that, that the Lodge – I'm not saying the town of Twin Peaks itself, even though the portal is in Glastonbury Grove in Twin Peaks – that the entire town of Twin Peaks is uh, manufactured reality or influenced by the Black Lodge. But um, I do think, especially in those scenes in the woods with Jerry and Stephen and Gersten, that there is a presence of that darkness in the Black Lodge that kind of permeates the town specifically. And also other parts of, of, of the world. We're just seeing little pockets here and there. But it's just mind-boggling that... that here we are so many months later and we're still trying to wrap our head around did Cooper really leave the Black Lodge or not? I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, we're, I'm looking at him doing his little magic on the uh, case files here. And he drew the ladder. I was like, D- what does the ladder represent? Well, you know what? I mean, I think it's tied to these this case, this arson case or these these cases that are um, the Anthony Sinclair, the Tom Sizemore character, that that maybe they're a little dubious. But watching him do the 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 ladder and then the staircase, it made me think of the convenience store because we have that staircase leading yeah. up above the convenience store, and then we have the staircase in the convenience store, which led to the motel where Philip Jeffries was. And there's not a strong connection. And obviously, when Bushnell later on is looking at these case files, he's able to kind of put them together with the real world here, but. I thought it was an interesting correlation that, that one can make with maybe the convenience store or maybe uh, the influence of Mr. C somehow. Yeah, and it's interesting, like the stars, these little stars that are popping up on the pages to give him clues of where to, to mark are almost similar to like uh, the, the dandruff scene where he saw the stars on the shoulders of Tom Sizemore. And then also part three when he's up there in the astral plane with all the stars. It seems like there's some sort of tie in there. What do you think? Yeah, you you mentioned that right when we saw that episode, when we were doing our hot take on it, that you thought that the dandruff on the black jacket, the nape of, of Tom Sizemore's character, that Cooper was so entranced by it was because it made him remember his experience with NATO uh, in part three, you know, in space, which I thought was a great correlation, could very well be, um, be that, um, as opposed to him just like, you know, well, what is dandruff? Do you think part three could possibly be a part of the dream as well? Like we're saying, Dougie is a dream. Is that not a dream? Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean, like part of the like? Do you mean the, like the purple kind of room? Is. Like, yeah, the purple room. The whole part. Or the, yeah, exactly. The part for first half of that or first twenty. To say that it's room. a dream, I think is I wouldn't say it's incorrect, but it's not. It's not 
it's not what it is. It's I think it's a part of it. I think what we're seeing here with at least Cooper is him having these experiences. Um, like he's seeing them in his mind's eye. Um, but if, if we were to kind of physically look at him, I don't, I think he's still in the lodge and he might be moving around and doing all these actions, but within the lodge, I think it's, it's what we kind of, or at least what I refer to as kind of the doppel lodge. Once we saw the evolution of the arm or the doppelganger of, we also sh- saw the, the doppelganger of the lodge and that's when the, the floor split. I mean, he didn't leave through the curtains. He went through the floor and we've never seen that before. So it makes me think that it's the doppel of the, the of the lodge and that's where he's having this journey but it, it's 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 either being manipulated by the lodge somehow or somehow cooper is having a, a dream and a waking dream at the same time like a lucid dream yeah i think that's true i think that is all part of the same thing part of the same universe i used to think they were different yeah. like they were like inception like different levels like one level was the lodge the next level was like the blue room purple room right was the astral plane whatnot but uh Dude, here we go. Here's the first. There's Diane's entrance, man. Yeah, Albert, and he had that great yeah. line, that Gene Kelly Gene line. Kelly, motherfuckers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Don't you think? Because I think you had mentioned this on the original rewatch. Is that the ending of this 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 part wasn't? I'm not saying it has to be dramatic, but it was kind of anti climactic it, it really wasn't kind of compelling it was chad and jesse and the sheriff station with yeah Maggie. should have been this should have been the last scene right yeah here. right this would have been a great last scene diane yeah. turn there it is boom done yeah hello albert hello yeah. albert there you can go to the roadhouse even you know i have some song queue up but it's almost like a no-brainer in terms of like storytelling you don't say why why did he not do that would well, you think lynch like i mean here we are two you know kind of you know i would say idiots but you know compared to like lynch creatively we're we're, we're nothing we're not even close to him we're coming up with these ideas <laughs> that it would be like even dwayne dunham would say hey let's do this like he's thinking this but he's consciously he's he, he doesn't want to go with expectation it's like yes it would be perfect but no i need he's to put it switch here it up. yeah i'm gonna switch sense. it up yeah. well here we are this is a red introduction to red i like this i love this yeah this is yeah. a great opener yeah, I love the slow pan. I love that atmospheric shot um, outside with the logs and kind of the rolling fog and the slow tracking, the slow pan. While we hear, while we're hearing little Dicky Horn sniffing the the sparkle, and then this introduction to red and these heavies in the background, just just like statues, and this great scene that unfolds. And uh, one thing that I, I think I missed on the first go around was that that, that red character played by Balthazar Getty mentions have you seen the king and i which is like you know what what you know the old uh yule brenner movie right getting to know you uh yeah it's from the I'm gonna original get series to know right you. yeah yeah i think it's like oh. that. i'm gonna get to, I, gotta, I need to get to know you that's what he's trying to say oh dude that you're exactly right but it's also a callback to the original series where leland and ben were singing that yeah and pete says the king and i yeah oh that's great my friend well, I think the scene's really good. I love the scene. Like now, I think the scene. I mean, it doesn't go anywhere, but I really like. I don't like any other scene with red in it. In it, but I like this one a lot. I don't really like a lot of Dicky Horn stuff, but I like this scene. Right. This is the the best scene I think for for both of them. Maybe it works on so many different levels. Just to see him completely in over his head yeah, with he obviously this you know his big time drug dealer who's acting completely bonkers, and then the magic trick that he pulls on on little dicky horn after little dicky horn uh kind of says don't call me kid and 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 red's you know of course keeps calling him kid and obviously it affects him so much that his mind goes somewhere else and and he winds up running over a kid in twin peaks 
at that uh, at that intersection. But he a great acting on both parts, and uh, I just I just think it's a very interesting scene. And I wish there was more of Red because we only got him with Shelley, right? Two more scenes with Shelley. That was it. Yeah. That's it. The only thing that would have made it better, instead of pulling the dime out of his mouth at the end, they could have pulled like an egg, and then the egg would have cracked, and it would have become like a bird that flew away. <laughs> Is that from old airplane, airplane when Leslie Nielsen? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a trick. <laughs> that's a trick. Yes, yeah, so what we were talking about earlier with <clears throat> um, maybe moving some of the Buckhorn uh, storyline to Twin Peaks is what you could have also have done too was somehow... It, this would have entailed adding, you know, a couple of scenes or whatever. But um, we were never going to get another "Who Killed Laura Palmer" in Twin Peaks. I, I think that was the, the the right way to go to not to not do that. You can never uh, replicate the, the power of that in the original series. But they could have really strengthened, I think, the Sparkle storyline because you know we had the connection to Chad. We have Red here, Dicky Horn, Bobby. And he, Bobby, they could have done something with that um, that could have, I think, enhanced this little storyline instead of like when Frank says, oh, yeah, Chinese designer drugs. And <laughs> that little kid, you know, little Dickie or little little Johnny in the, the, the Twin Peaks uh, high school died in the classroom. It just, these scenes don't really have any kind of emotional weight. We have no connection to them. So um, I would have liked to have a little bit more of a beefed up storyline. I agree. I really like the henchman in the background just laughing. Like, he's just smiling the whole time. They just don't take him seriously at all. And don't you think the trick is also, like, a figment of his sparkle high at this point? This is all, like, I mean, we're not seeing it from the POV of of Richard Horn, that that's how this this trick occurred was because he's super high. Yeah, I think that, and Red is somehow manipulating um, him. I'm not saying he's hypnotizing, but some people have speculated that this is the Tremont grandson. Yeah. Oh, grows up. that's interesting. What do you think? Well, that's an interesting thought. Is there any, I mean, why? Just because? Just because? Just because of the magic trick, I think. That's I think it? that's it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. Grandson's into magic. There he is. All right. <laughs> see it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but... Uh, they should have played know, that card. I, they didn't play that card, though. They should have, yeah. I mean, there's they any did. number of things I think that they could have. But it is what it is, and I love it so much. I, I really do. And you know, it's natural to kind of nitpick. Uh, certain things, especially when you have 18 hours, and something as bold as as, as this version of Twin Peaks, uh, because it 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 not only confounded I think uh, everyone, fans and and people who are just discovering it, but um, it also I think is blazing a, a, a new trail with how to tell like a narrative. And uh, I'm very thankful that we got what we got. And any criticism that I have is just because of the love that I have uh, uh, for this world of Twin Peaks and, and David Lynch and, and Mark Frost. And, uh, and it just, it's just, it adds another layers to, to, to discuss like why they did certain things, why they didn't do certain things and just p- promotes the discussion. Well, it's interesting. It's like, the t- it's a, uh, you know, it's a pastiche. They can't t- follow every storyline. They've only had 18 hours and he created a giant world. And so we're just getting a little glimpse of this shit. That's all he thinks we need. So I'm, I happily accept it. I wish I could learn to do this trick. This would be a really good trick. Yeah, it's it's great. His react, little Dicky Horn's reaction. Yeah, Eamon, is his name Eamon Farron? Fer- what's his name? The actor that plays uh, Farrell. Eamon Farrell. I, I don't know. I know he's Eamon. Good. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's great. He pulled off the accent. He's I think he's from New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken, or Australian um, or something. Yeah, or Australian. And uh, he was, I think, a highlight of of the new cast. I mean, his character is uh, completely unredeemable. Um, I feel a little bit of a, a tinge of sadness for him, knowing. You know where he came from. Obviously, Audrey is 
is MIA, and obviously he never knew his father, and we know his father to be Mr. C. Um, he's, this character, I think, really, really worked, even though I mean, we got a lot of screen time uh, you know, with him, but uh, he, he really didn't, his plot didn't really go, his arc didn't really go anywhere, but he really, I think, pulled it off. I think he's a fine actor, and uh, um, this scene is a highlight, like I said, with, with Red. They, they both knocked it out of the park. Yeah, do you think he's had any, like, Lodge interactions in his life? He's, you know, son of Mr. C. He's got the Lodge in him. I don't know, but what do you think about Audrey? Audrey's trapped in a vortex of hell. Do you think, since we know that there's a portal uh, of some sort, whether it's between two worlds, a dream world, or an actual portal, beneath the Great Northern Hotel, that that is where she She disappeared to or sucked into? Possibly, yeah. There's something going on there. Oh, she sneaks. She, she likes Carl to sneak around God. like the back rooms. You know what I'm saying? Or the little, she has a little secret hiding place. Yeah, she could, like, right. Suck in, ended up in a portal. Yeah, yeah. There he is Saint, yep. Mary Dean, Saint Carl, as you uh, so aptly um, proclaim. He's great. I love this little scene with him and this Mickey. And isn't here's an interesting little. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a, it's not a connection because it didn't. It really didn't go anywhere. But it had to have been deliberate on Lynch and Frost's part is here we just had a scene with little Dickie Horn, Richard Horn, and we get this scene with Carl Rod, who we're all familiar with, with Firewalk With Me, and this character of Mickey talking about either his wife, girlfriend, mom, sister, named Linda. We have Richard and Linda, at least the name, the character and the name, in consecutive scenes. And obviously that ties tied to the firemen and Cooper and Diane in part 18, but this goes nowhere. It's a red herring. It goes nowhere. <laughs> we know who the Richard and Linda are, but they're in 18. They yeah, but we still don't even know what, what that think? means. I don't know what that means, but I would be actually being afraid of the driver, like Harry Dean's driver, for a while because they never showed his face. <laughs> I was like, he's a large entity. So certainly, <laughs> I guess not. God, Harry Dean is fantastic with uh, smoking cigarettes every day for seventy-five fucking 75 years. Fu- I saw Lucky, the movie he did, that uh, his last hurrah. It's great. I, I did too. I watched it yeah. the last weekend. I, I really liked it. Very poignant, and uh, he was great. Lynch has got a great little uh, uh, moment or uh, part in it. And uh, anyone out there, please check it out. I think it's on Hulu. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and it's a swan song. I mean, that was it. And he was. I think he was basically playing himself. I mean, a lot of the the dialogue, his philosophy, at least, I think, was is attributed to to Harry Dean. You are nothing. His yoga moves are very impressive at 90 or whatever. That was, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. He does these series of yoga uh, exercises every morning. And uh, uh, there's also a great scene with Ed Begley Jr. as the doctor. I thought that was a great scene. I like Ed Begley Jr. So you were talking about earlier. Oh, here we are at the, actually the double R. See, here we are at the double R with Miriam, who is also a victim of little Dickie Horn, who's, you could say, is a victim of Mr. C., and it's this happy scene with her and Heidi from the original series. And we get Shelly here in a little bit. But Miriam, it doesn't come to a tragic end. She almost does. But uh, if little Dickie Horn was never We don't born, know. She was in a coma last time we saw her, right? She well, that's up? true. She may well, but, wake up. But, Someone uh, sent her blue roses as well, which is very interesting. <laughs> I always wonder about that. It's another one of the old unsolved mysteries. Who sent Miriam blue roses? Yeah, but this is if Mr. C never existed if cooper had succeeded in the lodge then little dicky horn never would have been born and the kid at the traffic site which we're about to see would never have been killed and miriam wouldn't have been shot beat up by little dicky horn how would the kill kid not have been killed well because little dicky horn wouldn't have run him over oh that's true yeah i see what you're saying yeah so that's that's what i'm kind of getting is i'm not 
saying it was certainly conscious is that I, you pick up things on, on multiple rewatches and this episode, there's not a lot of plot going on. It's a lot of these kind of character moments and I'm trying to like intuit like the meaning behind it. And like I said, it's the stark contrast with the, you know, the Cooper uh, plot line. We got a lot of Dickie Horn in this and we don't know um, who he is, where he comes from at this point. We, we, do, ne- we do know now, but um, in retrospect, it says a lot. He really is a violent character and, and, and causes uh, harm to people. And, and we see that first and foremost here in part six. And, uh, you know, it, it, it wouldn't have happened if Cooper hadn't failed. Do you think the good Dickie is trapped in the lodge? <laughs> right? Do you think we all have? Kind of. Like, I think probably good and- true. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any redeeming qualities, any conscience. He's a, a psychopath, right? So maybe that's why he was right. born pure evil. Bad seed. Yeah. Didn't Ben even say that boy was never right? Yeah. That's a great shot of Harry Dean oh, at, yeah. at the, on the park bench. I'm yeah, looking up. So and do you think he's, he's, he gets a sense that he think he's like a clairvoyant? He's a seer? Yeah, he's, he's vibing. Like, he's, he's close to death. It's like he's sensing the God or the spirits above. And uh, he has a really good, like, face like that. He looks like he's really, uh, you know, opening up to, like, the wonders of the universe. I don't know what he's looking at. But he looks like he sees something, obviously, when the kid dies, so... He's clear. Like, like he's, he feels it. Like I think he's a he's a he's a strong receiver, right? Kind of like is. Cooper. Yeah. And, he's safe. Uh, he's safe. I think I called him an empath. Would you agree with that or no? Uh, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, this scene here at the uh, the the intersection, like I said in front that we saw in in Firewalk with me, is that uh, he's very impatient. You just he's stop. Like, fuck he this. Just, yeah. yeah. He fuck just, this <laughs> but, you know, but. <laughs> You'll hit the ceiling like John Goodman in Raising Arizona would punch the ceiling <laughs> for the car. But bad on the, the driver who gives. Yeah, the, just look at the back. You can look in your rear view. See, a, <laughs> can't you hear it? The truck just steaming. Right. Yeah. Bzz, oh, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, that really. Yeah. And this is, we can't hear it because we're not listening to the music, but I think this is the first original Battle Lamente tune that we heard in. Uh, the series it took part six to get a new composition from Angelo whereas in the original series it was pretty much like as the J.T. Walsh character in the big picture would say you know wall-to-wall music and uh, that in itself was a little you know hard to kind of get you know accustomed to but uh, this is a very powerful scene even though we don't know these characters but like I said these reaction shots from the extras just really kind of pull you out the the Miriam shot yeah they're laughable well, doesn't yeah, somebody call nine one? Like, yeah, here's the first one. Here we go. Yeah, oh, they're bad. Yeah, no one is doing anything. No offense to anybody if you're an extra, if you're one of the ones in this <laughs> scene here. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not your fault. You know. But Harry Dean is the only one. He comes upon the scene, and he's the only one that actually offers any kind of assistance. You, there's nothing you can do for the the poor kid, but he goes there, and uh, when he sees the soul rise up, we're about to see. What this. color is that soul rising up? It's like kind of yellowish, like it looks like gold. a flame. Gold, perhaps. Yeah, I guess. I guess it is. You'd say yellow gold, but doesn't it kind of also look like? Remember when Mr. Jackpot's Cooper was yeah, in the casino? Yeah, the little, the little Avatar, Avatar it, thing. Yeah, yeah, it looks like that as well, and it goes through the electrical wires. Yeah, it almost like absorbs into the electrical wires as well, kind of. Yeah, because it it disappears, yeah. and then after Harry Dean, Carl what does that Rod, mean? you're asking the wrong fella. <laughs> But, I should uh, be asking he, the right fellow. You got a podcast. This is your job. Yeah, you know. Sorry, 
Well, I think that he's just I, limitations. I, always, I think I he's just uh, you know he can actually he just he's a, he's a you know he's tapped in and he can see that the spirit's rising up into. I just don't think there's any lodge connection to this, but maybe it is because uh, Richard Horn just killed him. So maybe he has, maybe the kid goes to some lodge in purgatory. Like with all the other well, I'll give you I'll give you one answer. You, you, you caught me off guard there. So we know from the secret history that Carl Rod, along with the log lady and one other little boy, disappeared at the same time. And the log lady was marked with those tattoos. That's right. So it could very well be yeah. that Carl Rod is marked and is also, like, a, like you said, like a receiver or a sender. But he is kind of like, over the years, distanced himself from it, like closed himself off to it because it's, it's maybe too much for him. So maybe here during his olden days, his, his winter years, that he's opening up a little bit and that's what we're kind of seeing here because at the end of this shot here he either sees or has a vision of the number six electrical pole that was at the fat trot the original fat trot trailer park and um we see in odessa in part 18 but that is not the odessa uh number six electrical pole so that was another foreshadowing moment in my opinion along with the traffic light that we saw earlier of some shit really going to come down in Twin Peaks, but we never really got that. Yeah, it looks like the, that number six pole, because you can see the Twin Peaks mountain behind it. Like the, yeah. So that one was in Twin Peaks. It wasn't the old one and uh, wherever, uh, you know, in Firewalk with me, right? So we can... Yeah, and, it's, and it wasn't that. the one in Deer Meadow, because yeah, that was outside Meadow, of Carrie Page's house. Yeah. yeah. Well, so um, here we are. Now we're in yeah, Vegas. We got the red square. We're the red square of death. So was that... That's how Mr. C does it, I guess. Yeah. So that was a message from Mr. Mr. C. Mr. C saying it's time to kill somebody. Yeah, from the Yankton Federal Prison. Is that where he is? <laughs> Maybe he did it from his box, his Argentinian box. There, it's coming from the I box. I thought about that. Could the cow jumped over the yeah. moon have been that? Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, the cow jumped over the moon means let's, let's, let's move forward with this operation. Okay, so he went over to a safe, opened it up, and there was a folder like a Manila envelope with a red, the black dot black on dot, it, yeah. with the photographs of. Lorraine, the warrior, and Dougie. Yeah. So was that always in that safe, or was there some magic involved here? Uh, I would think that it was already in the safe somehow, but I don't know how that works. And how did they get those photos of Dougie, like walking out looking cool? <laughs> Who took those photos? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I think there was some magic involved there. Um, and I think that was it, the, the red square. Are you Mr. C is magic then? Does he have or magical is, powers? It just doesn't make any sense that if they hired Lorraine to kill or to hire someone to kill Dougie that uh, why would you put a hit on her? I guess maybe to eliminate the, the middleman, but... Well, she's doing you, a so poor you, job. That's why she got hit. But are there other manila folders in there? Like when, when like she failed... Yeah, like maybe he's one, got like a manila folder for every one of them. Yeah, maybe there's just one for all the... <laughs> he just goes to the next one. <laughs> They're all going to be eliminated at some point. Just whenever you see the square, then you know. And maybe he has a million different safes. All the different safes have different numbers. <laughs> Is there a safe under the big W? Yeah, perhaps. Could happen. Um, Rancho well, Rosa, the last time I believe we see Rancho Rosa. Is that correct? I don't know. You tell me. Is that it? <laughs> we, yeah, because we last... saw the 119. Okay, one yeah, was... that makes sense. It's the last time I we think see that it. was it. And, uh, 119. See you later. The Whatever that means. Part of, part of Dougie's car was on the roof. On the roof. that was a play of the, the Breaking pizza? Breaking Bad pizza. We thought yeah. that when we first saw it. Maybe. Great. Maybe. Now we're here with Ike Spike getting some orders. <laughs> right. Yeah. He really loves that Spike, of, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. What do you think of the Ike the Spike character? Does he work? Uh, yeah, it's all right. It's not great. I don't love it. I don't. I, but I think he was fine. I think he, he did his job. It wasn't like it just. Uh, it, he wasn't. It was more. It was. It was very over the top in terms of it's, right. it's comic. You know. You know what I like so. almost more than 
the scenes with Ike the Spike. I love the scene of the Blu-ray extras, Lynch directing this scene. Oh yeah, was, stab it! Or no, the, the scene of the one where he kills Lorraine. Yeah, that was. Really well, yeah, the, the scene where he kills Lorraine. He was vicious. Yeah. He turned into Ike the Spike. I think Lynch did. When he was directing. <laughs> no, right? He's rearing his teeth. <laughs> Just stab but it. Lynch. He really dig really around that heart. Gets into right. the moment. You can see it on yeah. his face. His yeah, expression. He gets into character, man. Yeah. There's yeah, a I lot. Of, how... There's a lot of non-spoken. <laughs> there's a lot. Not much dialogue in this whole episode. Like the scene right no, here. No, that's why no it's. It's almost like, doesn't it feel like kind of a transition episode? Yeah. Um, uh, between five and seven, I, I, I loved five. I, I, a lot of people don't like five. I love five. And seven is, is great. I, I think seven yeah, is I one seven. of the, the, the better episodes. And, <laughs> I like uh, the spike right through Dougie's face. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that's a classic uh, a Cooper look. pose. Do you think Lynch actually took that photograph or the still photographer took it? Maybe Lynch because it had to be a perfect look. He had to get the yeah. right frumpiness and looking like a kind of an obnoxious dick. Yeah, and I remember hearing a story of uh, the Teresa Banks character in Firewalk with me, that great photo of her with a cigarette holding the ring that Desmond is looking at in her trailer. Yeah. Um, the actress Pamela Gidley told the story how Lynch took those photographs himself and was so specific and how she was supposed to hold the cigarette and how she was supposed to look. So it would make sense that uh, Lynch would, would shoot that. He's, he's, we know that he's hands-on with everything. Plaster of Paris, fuck that! Fuck that shit. Well, here we go. This is a great scene with Doug in the elevator. He can't get out. He's just so happy to be full of coffee, an arm full of coffee. <laughs> right. And, and he's in his black it. suit again. Yeah, yeah. suit. Return of it. And that shot where he was in the elevator uh, holding the uh, coffee and the case files is very similar to a shot in Eraserhead where Henry X is holding his, his paper bag. Um, but they have two elevator? different expressions. No, but the elevator doors, they take forever to close in Eraserhead. Oh, this one, they come, you know, they, they, they close it out of Cooper. Well, here yeah, we go. this is... Uh... Tom Sizemore looking very suspicious. <laughs> right. <laughs> For good I like the Phil Bisbee character. He's, uh, he can almost be like uh, straight out of the silent movie era. He's it's just his physicality. Yeah, um, Bisbee's great. He's one of my favorite un- unsung heroes. The new cast. He played Tina Fey's uh, child agent in uh, 30 Rock. Oh, really? He was like 12. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a good scene here with Bush. Now, you tell me this. Now, there's, I'm not saying there's a connection between Cooper and Bushnell, other than uh, what we see on the surface um, here of, of Bushnell. Obviously, this is his office or whatever. But the way that, and you kind of turned me on to this, is the way that Cooper was looking at that photograph, uh, that poster yeah, of Bushnell as a young man. And looking down at Bushnell and kind of equating the passage of time and that somehow resonating with with him, like what happened to him because he was in the lodge for 25 years. But I I find it curious on the the, the rewatch is that uh, they're both wearing like, you know, black suits. They're dressed very alike in this scene here. Uh, Bushnell's wearing a black suit? Yeah. I think it's more kind of a maybe a charcoal gray, but it looks very similar. It looks brown to me. Well, you're colorblind, so you can't see anything. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, yeah. It's true. It's he's true. a great boss, though. He's like a surrogate, uh, you know, Gordon Cole in this dream world. And he's like, but he's very nice. He, like, goes through all the paperwork. He looks at all the scribble and gibberish and goes through every page, <laughs> giving him a chance. Okay, it's going to get better on the next page. Nope. Nope, still gibberish. Next page. Nope. See, he goes all through the pages. I would hope my boss would do that as well. <laughs> right. Before going, this is complete gibberish. What is this? <laughs> and this is all, isn't this all? Isn't I like this his reactions. It's just like holding Don Murray. Yeah. He was fantastic. Yeah, I, was I, I, 
wasn't he like big in like the fifties? Was he like in a Marilyn Monroe picture? You know, I have no idea. I'd never, I'd placed him in an old movie before. So I have to go IMDb. Was he like in the seven year interest? I I don't know. I I think he, he had uh, a more prominent uh, presence in Hollywood in his younger days. And I think he stopped acting for a while. And and, uh, his son was in, the the buckhorn scene. He was one of the buckhorn cops in part. That's one, right. I believe and we saw yeah. that in the extras. Well, he does kind of seem like a Gordon Cole surrogate in this world. Like maybe this is like his remembrance of having a boss and having someone to you know an elder statesman, like you know that's going to help him out. Maybe he's like his own like lodge Gordon. He like you said he is very patient. He winds up. You could think that he would look at just two of the files and like just throw them away. It's like, yeah, he's just me? going through all of them. Every page, like hundreds of pages. <laughs> it's like an eight minute scene here. He's going through them all, right. just furrowing his brow. He's like kind of like opening, like scrutinizing the, the scribbles, like a certain scribble. He looks in really closely. Like eight minute, eight seconds later, he closes the envelope or the the, the folder. He's yeah, and the it. song, the uh, I think the Johnny Jewel song, the windswept song. Um, that plays underneath this and is also playing um, over the scene or under, under the scene where Cooper's actually making these little scribbles is uh, one of the most powerful pieces or emotional pieces in uh, season three. On par with something that Battle of Mente would produce. I, yeah, I feel it's very, a great uh, song. It's very poignant. It's like it gives you the kind of the, the sense of Dougie kind of law or Coop lost in this like weird like purgatory. Like he misses home. He wants to go home. It's like sad. Like yeah, it. it really is. I mean, it, it is the the Dougie Jones theme, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I would. I dude, would. he's still looking at the goddamn files, dude. There we go. <laughs> he's still going through them. It's just taking forever. They're all like almost the same. There's almost the same drawing. It looks like a swan head and some stairs. Almost on every one of them. <laughs> and stars. You're right. Yeah, I can only imagine what Showtime the suits. He unveiled part after part after part, and when they came to this part, going like, "Man, we should have really held them to like nine episodes." You know? Yeah, I think that they're yeah they're probably they're probably fidgeting their seats. They're watching this episode. They're like, where's this? Guy? I mean, what do you have? Was the script like eighteen pages this entire hour long? I, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, we know didn't uh, Frost say that the atomic bomb scene in part eight was like a paragraph? It was a sentence. Yeah, it was Just like one sentence. sentence. And, and, <laughs> it went on for like <laughs> and weird shit happens. Yeah. So that's just how Lynch. Uh, that's just his. That's how he rolls, I guess, as he uh, the kids would say it today. But it, it it works. It has its own charm, and uh, you know, once you know where the, the the next chapter leads, and you can reflect on it, you can dive back into the world. But saying that, this episode, I will not. It would be on the lower scale of episodes, like of returning to, just because I just don't think it holds up to the standard of, of most of the other episodes. Well, yeah, it's just it just seems like a dream world. Like all through all this, at the very end, he's like Dougie, and when he tries to like shake his hand, then he just mimics the the image, uh, the, the same position. Because you're yeah. an interesting fella. <laughs> in normal life, he'd be like, "You are insane," you know. But like that's what I mean. It's like this. I think actually this scene now we're getting to her meeting, uh, Jane E meeting with the. The, the guys that are uh, that need the money. I like this scene. I think this one takes takes a turn. It makes it seem more real, and Janie suddenly becomes a real character here. I love this scene. Yeah, actually. don't you think that this is her her shining moment in the entire run? Like I don't know about her, that. The ones know, at the, the end, character. I was like weeping whenever they left him. Left well, him yeah, but, uh, yeah. This but is this a great is scene. this. Wouldn't this be like the Emmy clip? Yeah, if, you know, if she got yeah. nominated. Yeah, show this scene. It's all. It's so frost. It's like I love her her little speech here about the crappy cars and having no money and the one percent. It's very good. Yeah, and I love the, the the banter, like you know, the reaction of these two guys, Jeremy Davies, yeah. who's uh, 
who was, has been around for a long time. He was great in Spanking the Monkey and, and, and the other number of films. But just like, you know, how they try to interject and try to act a little tough, and she just cuts him off. Yeah. And and how she he says at the end, like, tough dame. Tough dame. But you know this guy, this other guy, the guy on the left, do you know that he played another role in this series? Oh, that's a weird one. What, what did he play? I can't fit. Fa- it's fa- a pretty... Uh, Pretty, I wouldn't say prominent role, but the fireman. Uh, <laughs> no, he was he was the dead body in Carrie Page's house in Part Eighteen. Really, really, that's it. Yeah. Does that guy look like Jack Nicholson in The Shining? He looks different. Like, he's like a back. <laughs> so yeah, the here. same actor. Really. Yeah. So a lot of people have kind of speculated that, that. Well, I think people have tried to connect some dots here with maybe pocket universes, uh, dream constructs. Laura's dream, what have you. But uh, for me... Just recurring characters in different worlds that that Cooper is seeing. Like this guy's playing a different character in this world. And then in 18, he's playing a different, a dead guy in that world. Yeah. But for for me, it's like, it's a a cheap way for Lynch to uh, save some, or it's not cheap way, but a a way for Lynch to save some money. Not have to cast a whole new actor. Maybe they shot this scene like on a Tuesday and they were in Carrie Page's house like on a Thursday. He's like, all right, get made up. You're you're playing this character. Yeah. yeah. Well, here we go. Here comes the murder scene. The bloody. Right. bloody what was he doing? Like st- telling uh, Ike or the actor what was Lynch saying? Like moving around. Yeah. Yeah. He's, the, the, he's like get the. He, you know he gets his uh, his little ice pick in there, just goes to town and like starts kind of. He's like just get it in there, like pull it, drag it around, rip it around. <laughs> this was more I mean, blood. Oh god, this is really bad. Yeah, I mean it. It, it comes Ugh, out of it's painful. It makes my heart hurt watching him do that. Yeah, when he's just, yeah, just kind of ramming it in and like he's dinging it in yeah. and, and and going in a circular that motion. Poor woman and, that he comes. Ugh. See, I'm not yeah, sure. Like at the end I, here, where he's you know the spike is cracked. You know, I'm not sure. I feel much empathy for like, the spike here, just because no. the spike gets bent. Yeah, no, I don't feel any it's empathy. I, I do think it was smart to have the second murder here appear off camera. Yeah, it's certainly more much. potent, especially after what we saw. But uh, oh, poor like the spike. He really did bend. Yeah, it's ruined. Muerto, ice pick. It's a three-second reaction shot to just the ice pick. <laughs> Here we are, Dickie Horn doing the worst cover-up job ever in a murder. He's got, like, some Windex and, like, one paper napkin. The front, doesn't yeah. he just, I think he it's a, barely it a water bottle? He yeah, he just barely. splashes yeah. it. He doesn't really even get it off. You can still see the bloody, <laughs> it's like, he's kind of, fuck it. Oh, you know what? I We've got the, or at least I have, I'm sure you do, too. You, you have the uh, subtitles on? Yeah. Did you notice when he pulled up, it said electricity crackling? Oh, that's true. Very interesting. See, he's bringing and it with I him. remember someone mentioning that if you looked in the the the, the windshield, that you could see reflection of the, the, the wires. Lines. Yeah, he's power following lines. the power lines. Maybe Dickie Horn. Wow. He just follows the power lines everywhere. Yeah. Using pure evil. Very good. Yeah, this is the water Typical bottle. millennial. He's so just, I guess and then, Z, not really doing, doing a good job. And there. then he just tosses it away. <laughs> like, I mean. <laughs> oh, fuck like, it. You know, he's done. And he throws it away. He throws away the Windex with his fingerprints all over it, just right there. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like Hawk's in the bathroom. He's not even like responding to a dead kid on the street. He's just uh, chilling in the bathroom. Well, there's a whole it's team a town, of Tom. forensic policemen, right, that we saw briefly in part four yep. that we never saw again that I would assume would have been assigned that case. Yeah, we never saw a Hawk's got yeah, Who responded? Yeah, Hawks, Hawks got better that. things to do. He's chasing nickels around toilets. <laughs> now, what do you th- or who do you think put those pages in in the stall, in the door? 
that's another unsolved mystery. We should have put that in that episode. I don't know, man. Leland, of course, just like Hawk said. He just shoved him in there. What what if the only other candidate that I can conceive is the one armed man? Because I In the women's the, room? Was it the women's room or the men's room? No, this is the men's room because he tells Chad, like, use the ladies' room. So he's in the men's room. Yeah. But in the original series, I think it was the third episode of the second season. Yeah, he's freaking out with the Haloperidol or whatever. In the bathroom stall, right? So How would he get his hands on the the diary, though? Well, didn't Leland have the the pages at the end of Fire Walk With Me? Remember he says, I always thought you knew it was me. And then, (laughs) you know, he... he, he, uh, I love that little line yeah. reading by Leland. It's like Leland kind yeah. of like kind of peeks me. through yeah. at that moment yeah. uh, with Bob and everything. But the some of the pages from the die were found by Hawk in the original series at near that side? location. Oh. So we know that the one our man was there because he's the one who tossed That's the ring true. into the. So maybe he picked up some of the pages. Uh, but they look very clean here, right? Yeah, almost Not perfectly. Bloody. Yeah, they're perfectly yeah. in there. It's almost like Laura Preserved. or someone. I don't know who did it. Maybe we're just not supposed to know. Maybe there's, this is another one of those weird, we just don't know. That's it. Well, what about also when Hawk, says, <laughs> when Hawk says there's a fourth page missing? Yeah, what the fuck does that mean? How does he know? Do you, I, Remember you right? said like yeah, Lydia exactly. Von Dolan, it wasn't was like uh, <laughs> all the, when he killed himself, like all of her diary pages were scattered all over his room, his house, right? With the orchids. <laughs> How would they be able to piece it together and know what the fuck is missing and what's not and what order they're in? Yeah, because doesn't Cooper have that scene where he's kind of pieced all the, the, the pages together and he's kind of reading about, like, you know, what Laura's saying about Ben and everything like that? The, there were Laura's diary at that point was in shreds. Now, these are the missing pages, so they would be the ones that Leland had torn, torn out. out. Oh, and kept the whole time. So they have to, it has to be right. Leland then. Or Leland, someone got them from Leland. Maybe it was the one our man. But it doesn't, it, yeah, they look perfect, dude. They don't think they have, like, dirt. <laughs> Like been reconstructed, right. <laughs> right. dude. This is just well, a, this is a Lynchian mystery. It's like one of those ones, unsolvable, best left unsolved. Well, some people have speculated that the fourth page, the fourth fourth missing page, is Carrie Page. Like why oh, they that's right. Page. Yeah, that's interesting. Which Maybe that's interesting. it. Yeah. I don't really think Lynch yeah. would do that, but I could see the I could see that wordplay. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I like how you know, people's brains work and. They put all these they, yeah, like these that. things together and they throw them out there. Dude, this last scene just—I don't even know why it's in the whole. I guess I guess we just see the reason why she, uh, uh, Truman's wife is is so upset. We that we get that story, but what what That's why it, other yeah. why else why end on this? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's a curious choice for an end scene of, of a show that was really very uh, deliberately paced. And you would think that the goal is, remember how like the, even in the original se- series, even some of the second season episodes, which weren't as good as, as you know, pre- certainly not the first season, but earlier in the second season, you usually had a really kind of great kind of cliffhanger final like shot, um, you know, to kind of like keep you tuned in like to, to next week. And this one is, I think, I mean, if I had to rate all the, the endings, I would put this one right near the bottom, right? I mean... Yeah, was uh, even though I did like Chad, like his going boo hoo. Well, I like I like also the radio operator woman how she's schooling him. I like that. That's really good. But yeah, I mean, no, a, a, a kid just got killed in the street. Aren't they reacting to that? Why aren't they running out and you know? I'm saying it doesn't. It's not incongruous with what you've seen in this episode. You think they would be all running and responding to the dead kid instead of sitting around doing this? Well, here's one thing: is that even though we're seeing a chronological uh, events of Little Dicky Horn, we know from any number of scenes in different parts that. 
I think some scenes are taking place either before after. or after. This might be episode 17 really happening. You know? <laughs> I just threw it in here. He's like, it's, fuck it. Where to put it? Put it in there. <laughs> so that could be that could be why. But there were, there's other moments, I think, where we kind of question, like, what is Truman doing? There's something going on here or there, and there's not a lot of police activity going on. Um, yeah. So. Crime's running rampant. Well, the yeah. Sharon Van Etten song, I like her terrified. I listened to this song about 8 million times over the summer. I love this song. So is this one of your, like, would you put this, like, in a, the top five songs? Yeah. Of- yeah. In my top five. I remember the first yeah. time I saw this episode, I think I texted you, like, it's a shame that Sharon Van Etten's great song had to be on the end of the worst episode of the season so far. Uh, so would you would you proclaim this the, the your least favorite episode? Yes. I think so. This in 10 and 12 for the suspects. I think, right? I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think on on 12, I was not feeling well. I was out of the country. and uh, You're upset. You're angry. Well, the episode was entitled Let's Rock. Weren't there, remember there were a couple of like, uh, a couple like uh, like tweets. Remember the guy, who's the guy who was in like the the Dark Knight and it was the casino. Oh, they played the Joker killer guy. Yeah, this is the casino guy. Yeah, didn't he, he tweeted like himself in the Black Lodge and said like, tune in this week or something like that. Oh yeah, some shit's going down this week. Yeah, we were all excited So my expectations were like sky high, especially with Let's Rock. I thought, oh, we're going to get a call back to Firewalk with me. There's going to be some crazy shit going on. And it was, it was one of these more kind of like, you know, transition episodes. So. But watching that again, especially the scene with Cole and the French woman, which took like five minutes or maybe even longer, um, I really kind of uh, enjoy that scene now. I, I can appreciate uh, the, the comic uh, sensibilities of that. It's like that's that's Lynch's style. It's like uh, Hitchcock, the great Hitchcock, one of his favorite movies was The Trouble with Harry, which was really his only true kind of, I wouldn't say comedy, but a Hitchcockian comedy. And a lot of people don't really like that movie because it's... it's, it's uh, the, 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 the humor of it is is yeah but but Hitch, <laughs> Hitchcock loved it it's boring you don't like it I no like that's that my least favorite like the wrong man and really that those are way down the old list I'm not a fan God watch it again watch it for um, John Forsythe and and Shirley MacLaine's in it and some of these periphery characters are just hilarious and and I just think Lynch has this kind of a kind of unique different comedic sensibility and I think a lot of the things that make make him laugh don't really make a large audience laugh. And uh, I think he's out to please himself as he should. And, uh, but, but watching that part 12, I, I can appreciate some of the, those things. And, 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 but for me, it was the Audrey scene. It was like the 15 minute scene of Audrey, um, which was for me, um, I wouldn't say excruciating, but tough because it was our first scene with Audrey and the expectations were sky high. And it was just the scene long and drawn out with his Charlie character talking about all these other different characters that we had no idea who they were. And, and that's how it ended. I think, I think it went to the roadhouse right after that. And well, there's a lot of also like just sitting around Buckhorn, not, not doing anything like the Buckhorn hotel. Like, I think that was what yeah. part 12 bothered me. And if we had, you know, the, we began this podcast talking about whether all the Buckhorn stuff could have been in twin peaks, that entire episode could have been like Gordon and the gang running around twin peaks, you know, meeting characters, other part twin peak, twin peaks characters. And, you know, it would have been less boring, I think. But uh, it's just my opinion. If you were going to have some of these transition episodes where not a lot of action was going to take place, I'd rather spend time with the characters in Twin Peaks, whether familiar or not, just because it is called Twin Peaks. Yeah, um, it's called Twin Peaks. It's not called Buckhorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>